Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show. I'm your host, Mike Driscoll, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Mark Bagot from the SANS Institute. He's a Python instructor at the at SANS, and he's also done some courses for SANS as well. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you. So I like to ask everyone that comes on my show just to tell me a little bit about yourself, and maybe you can give us some some background info on how you got into programming or you know what you're currently up to. Yeah, sure. Um, so I graduated with a degree in computer science. Of course, when I went to school, we were learning Pascal um, and then C, C++ assembly. Um, and I, I graduated and got uh, jobs developing some software um, for the insurance industry, uh, mostly processing medical claims and things like that. Um, and I, I felt like I took my career in programming as far as I could at that time, living in um, Augusta, Georgia, which is not a really big city. So there's not a, a ton of, of local industry. And at that time, work from home wasn't really a, a big thing. So I, I left programming and went into uh, more technology support, systems administration, things like that, um, where I was working yeah. for a company who got hacked right so mm. and when when they got hacked it was it was like i, I don't know I'm, I'm one of those guys that when i see a magic trick i just have to understand how did they do that right mm -hmm. I, I spoil all the fun all right i can't just sit back and enjoy <laughs> the show um i i love penn and teller's uh um uh, uh show where they reveal those um types of tricks but i, I had to understand mm -hmm. the trick and when when i looked at you know how these hackers were doing things that the computers were designed specifically not to do i just fell in love with with the idea of exploiting systems and things like that so i, I did computer security for a while uh, then i started doing computer security and of course um being a, a programmer mm -hmm. uh, um, by by training um, I, I incorporated that into just about everything i did um, so uh, eventually programming came back into my life as a systems administrator and i've been using my coding skills in information security since then Cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I started too. And I was first learning. Well, I got I had my computer science degree, and then I had an MIS degree. And my first job was working. They, they called it a software application specialist, but most of my job was like system admin, DevOps type stuff. So it's it's always fun to hear. You know, how do people get into into programming, and you know what you're up to now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a time when I, I thought that the only jobs that you could really get in information security were you were going to, you were either going to be working for a small boutique firm that really wasn't going to have a lot of career growth, or you were going to be working for, you know, Microsoft or Symantec mm -hmm. or one of these major um, providers, and there really wasn't um, as as much depth in the industry as I think there is today, um, where you can really find great jobs and um, and and work as a developer full-time in lots and lots of places. Just about everybody places figured out that they need to have some people that can develop code in-house. And that's, that's a great thing for us. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So I see, I'm just reading over, you know, some of my background information. 
that you really like uh, PEP8 and documentation. Why don't, you, why don't you just tell me about that? I think I, I am a huge PEP8 <laughs> documentation nerd, so let's talk about that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, so I, I had mentioned um, to you that I, I don't really consider myself a professional programmer anymore because because I'm just too darn lazy to be a professional um, <laughs> programmer, right? And, you know, I know everybody gives everybody gives um, developers a hard time about not documenting their code and mm-hmm. um, not following the standards. And, hey, I've been on GitHub. I, I know that there's some truth to those criticisms. Mm-hmm. But... I lead the pack when it comes to uh, comes to not documenting my code and not following Pep8. And, and, <laughs> and it's not that I'm proud of it. Um, it's just that it's just that, uh, you know, I, I typically am writing my code for an audience of one, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and then eventually my my program that I've written for an audience of one, somebody else says, hey, can can I use that? And I say, uh, sure, let me actually add a proper command line interface that you can pass arguments to it. And then, okay, mm-hmm. then I'll actually write some documentation. So, so those things are actually usually um, afterthoughts when somebody else decides that they're going to use my code. And then when it blows up to be in a, a project that um, it turns out that lots of people are using, then, then it's just, I wish I had written some unit tests. Oh my goodness. Test driven development, right? Is that is that a <laughs> is that a thing that people really do? I know that it is, um, but I'm not that guy. I've been surprised how many people don't actually follow it in the industry. Actually, I know yeah. I know people who follow it really well, but I also know from my own experience that there are a lot of companies that don't follow it hardly at all. Yeah, so I I guess I could I could ensure that I will never be invited onto another Python class by um, uh, Python pi- podcast by <laughs> railing against Pep8. But I, I do see the value in it, perhaps with the exception of the 79 character limit. I do mm-hmm. see the value in <laughs> in Pep8. But uh, but yeah. Um, and, and of course, I have linters, right? I've got a linter that's, mm-hmm. that's doing many of that for me. But if it wasn't for the linter, then then um, I probably wouldn't have very pretty code to look at. Yeah, I keep thinking. So so I, I write books for fun, not okay. for profit. And um, I think I need to really start looking into how GitHub Actions work so I can add linters to my, my code examples just to help, help me do better. Because I, I, I run black sporadically on my code locally. Mm-hmm. And I probably should make it part of the commit process just to make it cleaner and nicer. And I've had some people ask me, hey, do you write unit tests for all your code examples in your books? And I'm like, nope, that's probably something else I should do. But then the book would take a lot that much longer to get written. So, <laughs> Right. So do you write things. your book in Markdown or? Um, yes. You... Oh, yeah, wow. I use, I use Markdown most, yeah. mostly. Okay. Um, one of my friends uses ASCII doc. And I think that might actually be the way to go just because you can separate the code examples from the markdown and mm-hmm. import them during the, the publication step. That way you could actually have, you know, a CICD system always making sure that those code examples work and they're always up to date and then they can be imported. So as long as you didn't, you know, make the code diverge too much from what you've written in the book, I think that would be really handy. 
But yeah, yeah, something you just said there. But what do you think of uh, doing it in Jupyter notebooks, where you got your markdown and then your code examples could be in a, a Python block that you could actually uh, just run that block and see and and actually capture that output? That would be another um, way. Yeah, to... I usually distribute some Jupyter notebooks. It depends on the type type of book I'm writing. Some of the yeah. um, the, the Excel examples I did for I wrote an Excel book, for example, and those don't translate very well to Jupyter because you can't, you can't open Microsoft Excel from Jupyter very well. But um, yeah, some of my, my more basic Python books definitely work well in Jupyter. Okay, excellent. Which kind of brings us to what are you using Python for? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. It's one of the questions that um, people in information security ask all the time, which is, um, kind of what do you need to know how to code to be successful in information security? Mm -hmm. um, I hear that question all the time. And I, I think that the answer is no, you don't have to know how to code to be successful in information security. There's lots of examples of people mm -hmm. who don't know how to code. But, you know, if you do know how to code, you're going to be success, much more successful, in my opinion, um, than than if you don't. I, I mean, there's, there's problems yeah. that we face in information security, like a, a lack of knowledgeable staff under just a lack of of staff um to begin with I, I, you've probably mm -hmm. seen some of the projections of the you know shortfalls in staffing and so if we can take the skills that um, people have that are doing information security and write scripts to automate those things to make the new people who are coming into information security more effective in what they're doing just daily automation tasks and things like that then they're much more uh, they're much more productive uh, so that's part of um, how Python gets used in, in InfoSec and how I use it. Another another uh, example I would say is any type of research or uh, you know things that are really pushing the industry forward. Really, you've got to know how to code to do that. Um, yeah. Just an example: there's a there is currently a vulnerability in the Windows operating system that uh, the API that's responsible for writing files to the hard drive trims trailing spaces. And so um, it's it's not a big deal, except that if you use another language or another something that doesn't go through those same APIs to create a file that ends with a space, then you can trick the operating system into thinking those things are digitally signed by the operating system. Um, so oh. if, I, if I name my piece of malware explore.exe space, then um, Microsoft sees it as digitally signed by Microsoft because it thinks that my malware is actually Explorer. And so, but you can't ever create that file if you only go through the APIs that are provided to you. So the, the mm -hmm. APIs kind of act like a security barrier uh, to the actual vulnerabilities. And so um, if you're going to push the industry forward, you have to have the ability to create code and to get past those barriers to um, find those vulnerabilities. But it's the same is true for defenders. Like if I'm if I'm defending a network and some malware gets into my network and it's not mm -hmm. detected, it's that is the direct result of a shortcoming of existing software, the intrusion detection systems and the antivirus software and all those things. And mm -hmm. as a defender, my choices are sit back and wait for a third-party vendor to write a patch or fix their, that software so that I can get rid of this malware mm -hmm. or 
automate the tool and write it myself to go up and clean this stuff off up off my network. And so um, those tasks end up being automated. I write I write Python to do that. And you know, I, I typically I, I live in the built-in modules like you know regex and sockets and scapy mm -hmm. dpacket. Well, scapy is not built in, but um, you know pathlib, <laughs> right? To interact yeah. with those things. But I, 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 some of my favorite third-party modules to use are things like scapy um, and uh, there's volatility and memproc fs are um, some mm -hmm. some modules that you can use to interact with with memory. Um, so those those tend to be really useful. And then there's a, a third-party module named impacket which okay. does authentication against Active Directory domain controllers, including lots of different hashes or, or uh, pass the hash attacks and um, different vulnerability enumeration type things um, mm -hmm. are part of the impacket model. So those, those tend to be the modules that I uh, typically use quite heavily. Yeah, I'm not familiar with a lot of those. So that's That's really interesting to hear about them. And it, um, it, it made me wonder if, if you're familiar with the book uh, Violent Python. It's a it's a cookbook for hackers and forensic uh, analysts. Do you mean the book written by T.J. O'Connor and has a technical editor of the guy named Mark Baggett? Probably. That's it. Yeah, I was the technical editor on that. Um, but, it's not but, on the cover, so I missed that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to flip on the inside um, book to see that Mark Bag was the technical editor. But I have to say that being uh, T.J. O'Connor's technical editor is like being a Maytag repairman, right? Every once in a while, I would say, well, <laughs> maybe you should release this lock in your uh, in your finally block instead of uh, instead of in the uh, accept block. But other than that, there was there was like very very few changes that um, I, I, I had to make um, with TJ, but yeah, it was really good. That's really cool. Yeah, of course, it was Python 2. Um, um, uh, we really need yeah. a, a hacker book for um, that's been written in Python 3 recently. But there's um, there's Gray Hat Python by Justin um, Justin's Sheets, I think. Uh, is, is I knew there was another one. Yeah, Gray Hat Python is, a, is another really good book, and it's got, it's got some uh, uh, cool techniques for um, I think he uses um, he uses the uh, one of the oh my goodness it's a very popular um, image processing module that can also do media and things like and that. Pillow maybe? No, it's not pillow. It's a uh, it it also you can turn on your camera and do digit recognition and face tracking. Oh, OpenCV maybe. OpenCV. It's OpenCV. Yeah, he uses OpenCV to do like facial recognition on some photos and. And some other really cool stuff that's in there, uh, as well as developing you know, offensive tools like backdoors and things mm -hmm. like that for implants and organizations. Nice. Huh. Well, you should reach out to TJ and see if you can get him to do Python 3 version of Violent Python. Uh, I certainly have. Uh, I don't think he's going to Yeah. Oh, man. I, I remember, I think I have that book somewhere in my house. I, got, I keep meaning to read it, too. <laughs> It just doesn't work for what I'm doing. So, but it's on my it's on my reading list. I assure you. Well, um, you never know. Maybe Python two will come back around, and that, then you'll <laughs> you'll find some of that stuff. <laughs> no, um, yeah, Justin Sheets's uh, book is is um, uh, a a good Python three read that um, will teach you many of the same concepts that that 
uh, TJ taught in his um, Violent Python book. So that reminds me, since we're talking about Python 2 and Python 3, and I just got done talking to someone who's working on the newest versions of Python, do you see the removal of the global interpreter lock uh, raising like any kind of security problems, just like off the top of your head? Um, well, I mean, I have a suspicion that when all of the memory corruption issues and everything else that that uh, security researchers tend to find today are gone, right? When, when we when we develop mm -hmm. programming languages that that just make those things go away, that the one thing that's going to be left behind is going to be race conditions. And that there's going to be just race condition attacks. They're, they're just multi-threading, multi-processing are just so hard to do. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that async coding, if we can do async coding, that that seems to um, make things, um, well, you, you, you have less to deal with there, right? Still not perfect, okay. but there's less to deal with there. Um, so I don't know but um okay. I, I mean if they do it right if they do it right then um <laughs> it, there should be no um no more problems that are introduced by that uh than than we have today but you just never know right it all comes down to what what the python core developers do and then yeah. what every other version of the python interpreter does as well um so as they're implementing Jython and Brython and and Iron Python and mm -hmm. Jupyter Notebooks and every other and Anaconda and everything else, you know, as long as those interpreters also get it right, then we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was kind of my my thought too, but I'm like, I'm not a security person, so I thought maybe you'd have some some interesting insights there. Well, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm glad with your answer. It makes me happy that there's nothing obviously bad about it. Yep. No, I think I think if it's done right, then we'll be okay. I mean, we are, there's certainly the potential for more race condition kinds of things, but mm -hmm. um, but no, I mean, I I, I don't know enough about um, the Python core interpreter. And the things yeah. that are that are going inside there to really um, to, to have any great insight as to um, what else that could do. Yeah, that's totally fair. So we'll just leave that. We'll just table that one and go on to what is a senior SANS instructor anyway? Uh, so the SANS Institute for um, the developers that that have never heard of it is probably the world leader. Well, they're definitely the world leader in. Mm -hmm information security training. So um, they have training where they will teach people who have come into the industry with network administration backgrounds, how to secure their systems. They, uh, they have multiple paths. So if you're a programmer and you want to get into information security, then they have paths for you there. Uh, they'll okay. teach people industrial control system security. So how to um, secure things like the power grid, things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I am an instructor for them or I originally started teaching uh, in their offensive curriculum. So I would teach uh, penetration testing um, and okay. incident response. Penetration testing being where you, I'm, I'm sure everybody's dealt with penetration testers before. They, they um, break in your systems and they tell you how they got in so that you and then how to close down those vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and then I developed a couple of Python classes for them on how to automate information security using Python. I've got a 
my okay. primary course, 573, which is, is really the introduction to Python, uh, teaches developer or people who really don't have a development bro uh, background, things like what a function is and for loops and many of the mm -hmm. basics that people don't know. But then we turn around and teach you the application of that to information security. Like uh, by the end of it, we develop a backdoor, um, simple TCP backdoor um, that you could put on a, a target host. We uh, do things mm -hmm. like analyze logs, uh, looking for attacks using regular expressions, path lib, things like that. Um, and then we look at forensics applications um, to it within the class. Um, that that class actually has a certification associated with it. So um, once people have taken it, they can they can prove that they know know how to code in Python by getting the 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 GPYC certification, which is an industry standard cert. Oh, nice! Uh, and then I got six seventy three, which is the advanced um, version of that, where we actually get to talk about object oriented coding, multi threading, multi processing, proper exception okay. handling, unit testing. <gasps> yes, I talk about you. <laughs> Um, and things Good. like that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, does, does SANS also cover like, um, some of the Python web frameworks and how to secure them too? So we have classes on, um, attacking frameworks. Uh, okay. and you know, we talk about your, your basic vulnerabilities like cross-site scripting and, mm -hmm. you know, SQL injection and cross-site request forgery, session hijacking and all those things where we talk about the the attacks in generic terms we also okay. look at a couple of different frameworks and how they uh how they implement that and then how to secure them um but okay you know so the we don't necessarily focus on one framework right uh, so it's not mm -hmm. like here here's flask and how to uh do proper authentication of flask no uh you're not going to find that but you will find here's the vulnerability this is how it looks in php Right. Um, okay. And how you would um, how you would fix that, you know, in, in, in generic terms, like, all right, you know, always mm -hmm. use parameterized SQL and always escape your output. Um, yeah. In my 673 class, I do talk about um, server side template injection and just understanding Python's object model so that um, if there was a server side template injection, you know, how you could go through and actually find objects that aren't slotted and um, that you can use to actually get code executing on the remote servers. And then of course, how to fix those issues uh, when, when they're identified. Huh. That's really cool. Yeah. I was, um, I've been taking some online security, security related classes cause they're, they're free at my new job and they, they actually have this kind of interactive, um, editor that says find the coding problem in here that demonstrates this particular web attack and it, it was using Django for those examples and it was really interesting trying to figure out how does Django implement security and what's wrong with this code because I I'm not a, I'm not a big big Django person so it was just I was just curious if other people are doing that too um, I'm sure yeah, they are. Yeah, we we don't focus necessarily on on Django, Flask, or any of the the web yeah. frameworks um, specifically in our class. The the most I think that um, we do have a couple of classes that will mention you know template injections, which you know, Jinja um, Jinja template injections, which are are used in Django and Flask and several others. Yeah, that's good to know, though. It's good to have that kind of information. 
Because I, I don't feel like security is really taught that well to you. At least it wasn't in my day when I was at university. So, yeah, I mean the uh, the focus is on on getting the product written and working. You know, we all understand the the importance of testing for edge cases, right? But uh, and and that's I think done pretty well. The thing is yeah. that you don't necessarily consider the malicious, right? The the malicious edge edge case where somebody is working within the bounds of what they're supposedly supposed to be sending us, but mm-hmm. intentionally trying to crash our programs. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that developers make the best security professional in my, my opinion. Of course, I am biased having um, come from a development background, but <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're the kind of developer that ever hits that bug that you know, drives you crazy for what for a while, and then you just have to know how does that bug work? Why is this bug? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you dig into it, you understand it. You get really excited about, um, oh wow, that now I understand why that thing was behaving in this odd way. And you get excited about learning something new. You know, that's it's kind of the the same thing with information security. They're all just it's all just magic tricks, right? That you know, if you put if you put the tick, you know, the back tick, in the right spot, or if you close the parentheses early, or you know, mm-hmm. then you get to um, run little extra things. So, um, if you love love um, knowing how the magic trick is done, then you probably enjoy information security. Yeah, makes sense. So that brings us to a related topic. Do you consider uh, Python to be useful? to learn for someone who wants to go into cybersecurity. Yeah, I mean, most of the frameworks that information security professionals are using are, are Python-based. You know, many of those that I mentioned earlier are all Python tools that information security professionals probably don't even know that they're using Python, right? They mm-hmm. um, Network analysts get, sit at the scapey prompt, right? Which is actually... Mm-hmm it's the Python REPL, right? It's greater than, greater than, greater than, but it's imported this module <laughs> that that they can um, open up packet captures and run mm. different functions to interact with these things and generate graphs. And most people that are using it don't even know that they're just really sitting at a Python. Um, yeah. you know, things like impacket, which is the best way today, the most effective way to break into a network is through um, LDAP attacks, LDAP directory, uh, LDAP uh, channel binding, and hmm. uh, and Kerber roasting attacks, and those are implemented through a couple of different Python modules. So understanding okay. Python is definitely um, definitely a a strong skill to have in information security. But you know, I I tend to think that you use the best tool for the job, and in mm-hmm. some cases, that's going to be PowerShell on Windows systems. Um, yep. If you're doing any type of exploitation or reverse engineering of malware, then understanding C um, and assembly language is mm-hmm. going to be useful there. Uh, but but yeah, for sure, if you know Python, you're going to be um, you're going to be ready to go in the information security industry. Oh, good. Well, what other languages would you or tools would would you recommend if you wanted to learn more about cybersecurity? Um, other tools. Hmm. So 
Yeah, it, there, there's so much to information security today, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you can go into information security, you can be focused on industrial control systems. You can be focused on forensics or incident response or being mm-hmm. on the hacking side or open source intelligence gathering. Um, you know, open open source intelligence gathering is is heavily Python, right? Because you're interacting with websites and mm-hmm. gathering information from pages and and scraping information off of websites, logging into APIs, which yeah. you know is up right up the alley of many inf- um, developers' uh, skill sets. So mm-hmm. um, that's an industry where where uh, you can really uh, jump in quite quickly if you if you're coming into information security. Um, you know, that you know, it, it really depends upon which vertical market you're talking about going into yeah, within information security as to as to which uh, other tools you're going to learn. But I find that it's easy to get connected with information security. There's there's organiz- there's companies or conferences like B sides conferences. I don't know if you've ever heard of B sides. Not that um, one. Uh, the idea of B-Sides was, you know, you, you've probably heard of DEF CON and Black Hat that they mm-hmm. do in Las Vegas every year. And the idea of B-Sides was, you know, think back to old al- albums, right? The LP, you had mm-hmm. you had the, the song that you bought the um, LP for, and then you had the B-Side, right? The other the other song that was on there yeah. that nobody listened to. And so B-Sides conference <laughs> was, was kind of, a, we're going to have a conference um, across the street from DEF CON and Black Hat. Where we take take the talks that um, were not picked up at those other events, um, okay. because there's lots of good talks that are going on there, and then that spread to conferences that are happening all over the world. So where DefCon and Black Hat kind of just happen in Vegas and DC, those conferences happen. You know, you can probably find one in your in your local town that happens once a year. Uh, and it's it's uh, just the information security community coming together in those local mm-hmm. towns that uh, they're going to bring speakers. And it's a great way to connect with uh, people that are in the industry that uh, and, and make those make those connections. Um, if you wanted to find out some interesting things you can do with the industry. Cool. Well, that makes sense to me, I would think. Conferences. I was going to ask: Are there like are there like security meetups like there are for like Linux groups or Python groups? There are, and um, a couple of things you could search for that would point you in that direction. There's an organization called um, ISSA, Information Systems Security Association, um, okay. that it typically is going to be in organizations. They tend to have a lot of vendor type talks where they'll bring in security professionals and talk about their products. Um, there's HTCIA, which is the high tech crime investigations um, group. That's a, I think the secret service sponsors that uh, particular organization. Then uh, FBI has InfraGuard, um, which is an opportunity that they try to partner with uh, industries to, uh, and with InfraGuard, you actually get a, a limited security clearance because they're okay. going to share things that they have seen um, that they don't disclose publicly, but they will disclose to members of the InfraGuard um, reg- related to different attack vectors and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, I found that to be a beneficial thing. I, I have 
received the call from the FBI that says, hey, uh, we're the government. We're here to help. We just want you to know you've been you've been compromised and attackers have broken into your network. And um, hmm. is, is this your data? Uh, well, um, yes, that is our data. Thank you for telling us. Um, <laughs> so having those relationships is is uh, is beneficial in yeah in certain circumstances. Nice. Well, I think we've reached the the last question for you today, which is which is um, how do you think cybersecurity will change with all these newfangled AI tools? Oh boy, um, is it is there anything that I think isn't going to be changed by by AI? Yeah, um, you know, I I ironically I think the one thing that I don't think will be changed by AI. I don't think it's going to replace developers anytime soon. Have, I I mean, I'm sure that you've asked uh, ChatGPT to to write a module or two for you um, and found it um, found it wanting in. You know, the fact that it'll just make up phantom objects with phantom methods that don't actually exist. And then when you ask it about it, it says, oh, have you tried using this one instead? And it's like, no, that one doesn't exist either. <laughs> You're just making stuff up. Um, but, uh, you know, so I will it get there um, for coding eventually, I think. But one of the things that it is pretty good at is... Um, is is finding patterns in things and one of the things that security professionals are not good at is finding patterns in things so things like looking through megabytes and megabytes of logs every single day to find the the signs that you've been compromised yes that is a thankless job right and if if you've ever done it then you look every day and there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing and then you get tired of looking and then guess what? The day the day you decided there wasn't going to be anything today, I just won't look. That's the day, <laughs> right? So yeah. certainly automation helps there, but I think AI is going to uh, is going to um, make that process even better because it can adopt to changes in the network and adopt to the threats as well at the same time in ways that standard scripts can't. So there's there's lots of things that I think um, AI is going to make better. Uh, Microsoft's got an interesting um, security advisor tool. I forget the name of their um, their tool, but a way that you can submit logs and ask um, ask Microsoft about uh, potential compromises and things like that. And, it, and it's got Chat GPT focused uh, type Chat GPT um, type functionality, but it's trained on your logs. So I think I think that that is really going to make uh, life better in some circumstances, but There'll be things that it makes up and things that it overlooks. So, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward since you, since you brought up, you know, looking at the security logs. I could see that really helpful in finding those flaky flaky test problems that I deal with all the time. Where this test is failing, you know, once a month or once a week. Why is it failing, and how do I reproduce it? Yeah, if, I, you, could, I, if you could have something analyzing that in the background, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I have to admit, I, I love GitHub Copilot and it writes. So while I've already admitted that I'm not the best when it comes to writing unit tests, if I, I can give uh, my objects to to Copilot and say, write me a unit test for this thing. And, you know, the unit test it, it spits out 
tend to be pretty good, right? Because it, it sees what the objects want and it knows what they're supposed to return. It sees how they're being used and the, it just, it just writes pretty good unit tests. Um, yeah. I, I've used a copilot a little bit and I've been impressed with its ability to generate boilerplate for the tests. Mm -hmm. And it can, it's almost like it hears you talking to yourself and it guesses what to do next sometimes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I have found if you keep tabbing, t I, and I, it, should, it writes three or four good tests that I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that one out. And then you just hit tab, go crazy a couple of times. And then you start <laughs> like, wait a minute. What, what is this nonsense? I, it's yeah. now testing to see whether or not my social security numbers are plugged into this thing. And yeah. Yeah. I noticed it's good for testing. I don't really care for it for creating regular like greenfield code, but the right. testing part of it, it's actually really good at. Yeah. Uh, I a hundred percent agree. Well, awesome. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my show and talk to us all about cybersecurity and SANS and teaching Python. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I saw, I've seen your, your, uh, your guest list of people that have been on her and I've listened to several of the shows and, and uh, it is, it is an honor to be amongst actual developers and talking about Python. So, um, so thanks for having me on. I appreciate it very much. Well, I believe in keeping or having a wide variety of Python enthusiasts on my show from core developers to people who are just, you know, machine data, machine learners, data scientists. I had a YouTube person on recently too. Yep. Just fun getting all those different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm going to sign off now. So thank you all for listening. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.